Every Monday to Friday, this is Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Money Talk! Good morning and a warm welcome to Money Talk for Wednesday the 4th of October. This is Peter Lewis. This podcast is sponsored by Surfing Group which is headquartered in Singapore and offers online financial services to 30 million customers across 10 countries. And thank you for making us one of the most listened to financial podcasts every weekday in Hong Kong and Singapore. If you want to get in touch, then please go to my website, peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com. I'm also on Facebook, Peter Lewis Money Talk is the page, and on X, you can find me at moneytalkr3. In today's business and finance headlines, the Reserve Bank of Australia left its cash rate on hold for the fourth consecutive month at an 11-year high of 4.1% in the first meeting under new Governor Michelle Bullock. Interest rates have increased by four percentage points since May last year. Tuesday's move was in line with market estimates, with the board again saying inflation had passed its peak, but it was still too high. U.S. House of Representatives Speaker Kevin McCarthy has been forced out of his role after a vote by lawmakers. Republican Representative Matt Gates of Florida moved to remove Mr. McCarthy from his post as retribution for cooperating with Democrats over the weekend to avoid a government shutdown. Lawmakers debated the leadership challenge and then voted 216 to 210 to oust him. Mr. McCarthy is the first speaker in U.S. history ever to be removed in this way after a motion to vacate. India and its South Asian neighbours are expected to grow faster than any other developing country region this year, the World Bank said, with robust growth defying gloomy outlooks for China and much of Asia. The World Bank on Tuesday raised its 2023 forecast for growth in South Asia, which includes Pakistan, Bangladesh and Sri Lanka, as well as India, to 5.8% for 2023, thanks in part to its young and growing population. Demand for U.S. workers unexpectedly rose in August, fueling expectations that the Federal Reserve will keep interest rates high for an extended period. The number of job openings rose by 690,000 in August from the previous month to 9.61 million, well above market consensus of 8.8 million, and indicating a robust labour market. The number of job quits increased by 19,000 from the previous month to 3.638 million in August. On today's programme, I'm joined by Enzio Von Fahl, Capital Preservation Specialist at Financial Shield, and John Schofield, Managing Director of Tempest Investment. And later in the show, I'll chat with Nick Smith, Japan Strategist at CLSA in Tokyo. On Wall Street, U.S. stocks slumped Tuesday as bond yields surged following the strong jolts data. The Dow turned negative for the year, tumbling 431 points, or 1.3%, to 33,002 in its worst day since March. With Tuesday's losses, the Dow went into the red for the year. It's now off by 0.4%. The S&P 500 slid 1.4%, touching its lowest level since June during the session and closing at 4,229. The S&P 500 is still up 10% though for 2023. The Nasdaq Composite dropped 1.9% to end at 13,059. Meanwhile, the VIX Volatility Index, known as Wall Street's Fear Gauge, jumped over 12% to 19.78. That's its highest point since May. 
in the Treasury bond market. The 30-year US yield reached 4.95% for the first time since 2007 before the financial crisis. The 10-year yield jumped 12 basis points to a new 16-year high of 4.81%. That's the highest since August 2007. And the yield curve inversion reached its narrowest since March, hitting minus 34 basis points on Tuesday. The spread exceeded minus 100 basis points as recently as July. Sovereign bonds elsewhere were also swept up in this week's global sell-off. UK 30-year gilts rose above 5% for the first time since the UK's pension crisis last autumn, which sent long-dated gilts into freefall. Yields on German 10-year debt rose by 6 basis points to 2.98%. That's a 12-year high. The Italian 30-year yield reached its highest level since 2012 at 5.45%. And yields on 10-year Japanese government bonds hit as much as 0.79% Tuesday. That's its highest since September 2013. The Japanese yen briefly breached the politically sensitive 150 yen against the dollar for the first time in nearly a year, breaking that psychological barrier that's triggered intervention by Japanese authorities in the past. The US dollar yen rate then plunged nearly 300 pips within a few minutes, sparking suspicions of intervention. On Tuesday, the yen traded as low as 150.16 against the dollar before ending the session 0.8% higher at 148.81. In emerging markets, the Chinese yuan was flat at 7.3219 in offshore markets. Mainland markets are closed until the 9th of October. Shares in Hong Kong led the Asian region lower. The Hang Seng Index plunged 2.7% or 478 points to an almost 11-month low of 17,331 after traders returned from Monday's public holiday. The tech index tumbled 2.6%. The Hang Seng Mainland Properties Index dived 3.6% and doesn't look like it's going to get any better at the open this morning. Futures markets are pointing to another decline of about 50 points. That's a third of a percent. Looks like the index should open around about 17,280. And you can get more details on the latest market movements in my daily newsletter at peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com. Every Monday to Friday, this is Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Peter Lewis's Money Talk. Well, as we get back into this swing of things in this shortened holiday week, let's welcome our Wednesday uh, commentators. First of all, we have our regular Wednesday guest, Enzio Von Fahl, Capital Preservation Specialist at Financial Shield. Morning, Enzio. Morning, Peter. And also with us, John Schofield, who is Managing Director at Tempus Investment. Morning to you, John. Yes, hello. Good morning, people. Now, as you heard there in the market rundown, the rout in U.S. Treasuries has intensified and U.S. stocks also lost ground as traders are digesting messaging that the Federal Reserve intends to leave interest rates higher for longer to rein in inflation. Yields across the curve jumped to new multi-year highs on Tuesday. Another thing to just add to that, the average rate on a 30-year fixed mortgage jumped to 7.72% on Tuesday. Mortgage rates haven't been that high since late 2000s. Um, Enzio, is this justified, this, this rise in yields, do you think, by the fundamentals? Well, I think the it is because the global economic time, but very much because of the US, I think is changing from an excess supply of money. It's funny dawning on markets that actually there's going to be an excess demand for money going forward because the Fed has been 
physically tightening only since about April of this year. So I think that's beginning to dawn on them. And also just simply the, the fact that the yield curve does remain inverted. The two-year at 5.15, um, the 10-year at 4.81 means there's still a 4% difference. So that would be how a recession, which is, of course, then ultimately has to be lower earnings in the U.S., John, does it, yes. is this justified, do you um, think, by the fundamentals, this move in rates? Not just in the U.S., is it? It's around the world, but presumably it is the Fed that's leading it. It's U.S. rates leading the way, isn't it? Uh, yes, yes, for sure. I think there are two or three factors driving the um, driving the higher bond yields now as opposed to short, short-term uh, short rates. The um, fact is the, the U.S. economy continues to be uh, quite robust and quite healthy. Um, but at the same time, the treasury—you know—there are a lot of treasury bonds coming onto the market. Mm. So there's a sort mm. of supply, just a sh- sheer supply thing. Um, Almost a trillion dollars in the last quarter. That's a yeah. phenomenal amount, isn't it? Yeah, mm. um, that, that, that's right. And and um, as Andrea said, uh, the tightening goes on. Either the runoff of the Fed's balance sheet goes on at a, at a steady pace. Uh, we don't hear the talk of that, but it basically means that every and you know ninety. Um, 90 billion a month, I think, is it, it, it is, is running off, um, running off that balance sheet, which is now uh, now well below eight trillion, having started life uh, about a year ago at uh, nine trillion. So, so that's that's ongoing, but probably a side issue. Um, so the. Um, but the, the the justification for having an inverse yield curve is always that a recession is around the corner, and um, everyone now doubts that. Clearly, mm. um, ironically, it may be that these you know higher rates for longer do eventually trigger some mm. sort of a recession. Think, but yeah. but that's purely um, you know that uh, depends on uh, forecasting, um, which is uh, inherently uncertain. Um. And yeah, the carnage really got going today after the release of the jolts data, the job opening survey, yes. showing far more jobs available uh, than, than initially estimated. Yes. And also the quits rates went up, which yeah. quits always go up when people are confident, aren't they, about finding um, another job. Well, also, third-generation stuff, maybe they just don't want to work. I think that there are a lot of supply-driven inflation motors that the Fed simply cannot address with its biopic focus on demand-driven inflation. Supply-side factors would be people not wanting to work. So, of course, you have higher quit rates, you have tight labor markets because people just don't want the jobs. The politics of oil leading to phony supply shortages the sunspots in El Nino leading to crop shortages. So these are things that are going to keep those Fed funds rates pretty high for Mm -hmm. a long time, but because the Fed has kind of tried to repair its Mercedes-Benz with knitting needles and it's just not going to work. Mm. But it, it does challenge, doesn't it, the prevailing wisdom that the employment picture was, was loosening on yes. previous data. And if it's not, then presumably it's not just about um, how long do rates stay at these levels. It's maybe more rate hikes are on the cards if, uh, if, if the, the, um, the labour market remains this robust. Well, we've, we've been, I mean, we get many of these things wrong also, as everybody would. But one of the few things where we have been pretty good is with looking at the Fed funds already back in March of 22, looking at them reaching more six percent than at the, at the prevailing four percent at the time mm. so i still stick with that that i think that again but because for all the wrong reasons they will keep on hiking the rates as opposed to increasing the supply through the middle class education system for instance mm. but people talk about high rates 
And actually, by historical standards, these wow. rates are not high, are they? I mean, it's just that we've been used to ridiculously low rates in the years since the global financial crisis, even negative rates in, yeah. in, in some cases. But these are not high rates by historical standards, are no, they? No, but relative, relatively, they, they, they've doubled. So the mm. mortgages, 3.9%, which is what the bulk of the mortgages in the US are now, they're doubled. So I, th- I, I agree with you in our collective histories here at this table, we're a little bit more the senior set these days and that's of course the we've seen much higher rates 19 percent back in the 70s um but i think it is still a doubling mm. uh, john, john this mm. is going to be the issue isn't it we've got to get used to now this normalization yeah. of rates we're yeah. certainly not going to go back to zero unless yeah. you're in japan maybe but mm. outside of japan yeah. we're not going to have yeah. zero rates again yeah. are we? we we've got to get used to a yeah. normalization and there's going to be consequences of that yes i mean the um I mean, what's going on right now is partly uh, a repricing of assets mm. in line with, as you say, the new, the new normal, the new, new reality. Um, don't forget, we're, we're coming to the end of a 40-year 40 year, 40 year bull market, as it were, in, in bonds. It came to yes. the end about a year ago. So, um, you know, from a chartist perspective, you, you can act, uh, you know, expect a 10-year bear market, possibly. In these in, in instruments, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but that's that's the. So what's happening right now is people are now they're pricing off, you know, short-term interest rate, risk-free interest rates of, you know, five and a half percent in in U.S. dollars. So every other asset has to stack up against that and provide a margin, mm. um, you know, a positive margin, a risk premium, I should say. Um, so where where the bond if if interest rates stay at five percent plus for a year, um, you know, bond yields are going to have to go, or also going to have to go up to to six percent, mm. or even as Jamie Dimon says, seven percent. Right. Um, over it. It's going to have a big impact on equities, isn't it? Because you've got to reprice yes. equities. And then, and then above that, you've got to have a premium, uh, an equity premium, because we're still talking risk. It's a ten-year rate. Yeah. It's still risk-free. Um, mm. You know, equities obviously are are fraught with risk. There will be interludes, of course, um, so nothing goes in a straight line. How, how much of this, I mean, obviously the economic fundamentals are, are one of the drivers behind it because, um, you know, the U.S. economy is still looking pretty robust, isn't mm. it, despite um, fears of recession. But the other aspect of this is government, bond, uh, government borrowing. The U.S. is running a budget deficit of about 7%. Mm. Where outside of a recession, that's actually, that's actually very high, isn't it? And that's got to be funded through all this uh, Treasury bond issuance. So presumably that's also another major factor here, another driver. Yeah, uh, on top of that, I, I fully agree, is also just the congressional sort of shenanigans of, of then throwing out McCarthy and extending the budget deadlines, and uh, I, I, just the, the place just doesn't seem to be run anymore, frankly. Mm. Has this all got ahead of itself, though? Are we now sort of, is, is this bond market route maybe uh, got, got out of kilt with the, with the fundamentals? Because um, you're getting some extreme no. readings, aren't you, in things like momentum and sentiment for, for some of these bonds, massive volumes in treasury bond ETFs. I'm just wondering, you know, when you start seeing things like that, you then suddenly get a massive uh, reversal. I don't think so, because I, I just think that the, the markets still expect these rates to be cut next year. And so they're going to be the, the, on, the, on the futures, which you pointed out this morning in your notes, Peter. So that means that the markets are still going to be in for some very, very 
deep shock. So having, I, I think it's the markets are kind of in delusion land, wanting to believe it's got they've got to cut the rates next year when in fact the Fed has been saying quite the opposite for quite consistently for a change. Mm. John, what are the consequences of this? Because there are some, aren't there, that we've got to we've got to think about. I mean, first yeah. of all, for companies, um, we're coming up to yeah. third quarter earnings reporting season just around the the corner. But mm-hmm. companies have got to take this into account now, haven't they? That they're going to have to refinance when they need to at uh, a much higher rates uh, than they've been financed before. This is going to eat into earnings pretty yeah. rapidly, isn't yeah. it? Well, um, you know, some companies are in a position of sit- sitting on large large amounts of cash. You know, particularly big tech. Uh, Amazon and so on they've got huge so for them it's not bad mm. news they can just they can just uh, you know receive the receive the interest rates but yes for the smaller companies and, and you see this in the performance of the various in, in indexes mm. the um, Russell 2000 the small cap index is um, is really in, a, in a, a proper bear market I think whereas uh, the Nasdaq for example is only uh, you know, so far, anyway, just a bit of a correction. Um, so it's going it's to they're going to be winners and they're going to be lo- the relative winners, I should say, and, and big losers. Um, I mean, the banks might be quite happy as long as they don't get, have too many bad debts. Well, I was wondering. I mean, on the on the banks issue. I mean, we saw back in the summer, didn't we, that when there was a a big move in bond yields, then as Warren Buffett famously said, when the tide went out, we found out who wasn't wearing a yeah. swimming costume, and some of these banks yeah. got into trouble. Do you think we, you know, is there a risk of that happening again with uh, with banks? That you know, some they've got huge bond portfolios. Some of these banks, haven't they, which they've got to uh, mark to market. Uh, yes, I don't know how, how uh, all those that had, um, yeah, had 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 those. But I, I don't know how how far they've got off in uh, got 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 along in in restructuring. And again, a bit like the Fed, maybe running off stuff. Um, hopefully, they've got the duration right down as far as they can. That may be one reason for the sell-off. Actually, they're mm. trying to get yes. the duration down. You know, so you can sell a. Um, can sell a sell a ten-year bond and, and put it uh, put it put it into um, short-term paper or two-year bonds and you know make a positive spread that way. But the, the banks, if they have to cover their losses, then they've got to yeah. issue more equity, haven't they? And that in turn yeah. becomes diluted Depresses, to the share yes. price. Yeah. Mm. Um, what about hedge funds? We always tend to find at a time of severe market moves, there's also some hedge funds caught with their pants down as well, aren't there? There's a lot of bond hedge funds out there, a lot of macro hedge funds that run large bond portfolios. That's another area, presumably, that we've got to, that we've got to watch closely. Yeah, there's something, Peter, that maybe you can explain a bit better because you use excuse. But I, I read something about the basis trade. Is mm-hmm. that a big risk in markets? I mean, because you, you were at the sharp end of the stick on that kind of stuff. It, it could be, um, particularly if the market is illiquid, because it, it, it involves a lot of borrowing. You go and yes. borrow uh, basically money in the, in the money markets, yeah. and then you put on the uh, the, the treasury rates, basis yes. trade, where you know you sell futures um, and and you buy bonds or vice versa, um, and that's all done through through leverage as well. So yeah. what is just tiny movements, tiny basis point movements really in this magnified. trade really yeah. gets magnified up because of the borrowing on both sides of the uh, both sides of the trade. I just wanted to get back to this illogical thinking of the market because that does, it's worried me for some time, which is that on the one hand, they, the, the Fed says, well, it's all demand-driven inflation that we're trying to fight, so let's keep jacking up the rates. And then at the other end of the stick, we've got a... Um, 
a, an inverted yield curve suggesting at least that at some point the steam is going to go out of the market and then you've got the market itself saying well actually they're going to be cutting rates next year they've been quite adamant about that i'm just concerned that, that the market's kind of getting it all wrong yet again well they've been fighting the fed all year yeah, fighting they? the and, fed, that's um, it, that's and it. i have been wrong to do so um all year as well because the debate is certainly not about uh lowering rates next year amongst the fed it's it's and about how right. how long to how high to keep yeah, them how, yeah. uh, or how long to keep them yeah. at these high levels they're yeah. not talking at all i can't see any fed um policy Policymakers coming out and talking about cutting rates. No, it's a bit like China. You, if you're all of a sudden on side with China, then you're, you're sort of in the bad camp. So if you're a Fed guy talking about cutting rates, so that, that's just a no-no. What about the consequences for consumers? They're going to feel the squeeze here, aren't they? Mortgage rates are going to go above 8% fairly soon by the looks of it. Credit card loans, personal loans, lending standards, all tightening in the third quarter. Um, how much of an impact is this going to have on the consumer? I don't have a, any data on what percentage of U.S. mortgages are still at 3.9%. I just I know that Sharma in the FT a couple of days ago mentioned this, that the average mortgage rate is still 3.9%. In other words, it's not gone up to the 7-ish or 8-ish percent. But I don't, I don't have a grip on the what percentages mm. of these, I suppose credit card debt would be variable, um, but the mortgages, I would have thought a hefty chunk is still pretty much in the fixed, in the fixed rate 3.9%. Mm-hmm. But I'm op- that's open to debate. Yeah, well, one of these is as wages have kept up, yes. more or less, with inflation. That's 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 why we haven't seen the consumer, yes. uh, particularly in the states, cutting back much, or in the UK and elsewhere. Uh, people have still still got accumulated spending uh, savings. I beg your pardon from uh, from COVID times. Um, I've also read that that's about to run out in the case of the US, but in the case of the UK, for example, there's still quite a lot of personal savings in the in the banking system which which mm. are still being spent hence the uk for example hasn't plunged into a recession on the mortgages um of course the us have the advantage of 30-year mortgage it has caused a slowdown in uh, a slowdown in house you know house sales and resales yes. so people would just want to sit on their three cheap nine mortgages mortgage yeah. if they move to a new a new house um, they'll have to pay seven or mm. seven point seven five apparently. Um, mm. But if, if they get a big enough discount, some people will be you know, and they have they have good earnings, and some people will be willing to do that. And the other area we've got to look at is the government itself. It's got public debt at 120% of GDP, a large budget deficit. It's got to carry on um, sort of financing. The the interest costs for the government um, are yeah. going up rapidly, aren't they? Um, yes, for sure. I mean, they're, they're not having any um, difficulty. They won't have any difficulty financing it. I mean, the Treasury market is the biggest and most mm-hmm. liquid by far in, in in the world, and that that itself is. And you know, there are plenty of people who will be attracted. I think right now we're just going through a step change where yes. the, the rates will go. You know, they'll go quickly to um, to you know five point something. Let's say in the case of ten year. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, then, then maybe pause. But I, I still think the the issuance uh, will be taken up um, by by the by the market. A lot of with, you know, a lot of, again, a lot of investors have accumulated uh, huge amounts of in, in money market mm-hmm. funds. Mm-hmm. At what point are they going to be tempted out from 
from the the short-term money market instruments into to lock in something slightly you know for a longer term it's probably when the banks go bust because yeah. they they can't keep all that cash going because yeah. they're doing s- well they're doing lending uh, yeah a lot of it goes into into t-bills of, uh, yeah the, the, the short end of the curve so um uh, and cds and, and what have you so that's um and what about the US? What about the US dollar? What's the implications mm. here for the currency? The US dollar index now at its highest level since November. Uh, yeah. The yen seems to be the main casualty mm. here, doesn't it? Uh, it breached 150 uh, briefly yesterday, but it does look like the Japanese Ministry of Finance was intervening because there was suddenly mm. then this huge uh, rally in the yen. But presumably, as long as you have this massive differential between Japanese bond yields and US Treasury yields, the the yen is going to continue yeah. to suffer. Yes, I mean the. Uh, I think that was a bit of a spoof, frankly. Um, that 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 move, yes, in 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 the yen. Everyone is, um, and the yen is actually the exception to the to the, the fact that all the currencies have been all the major currencies have been sliding against mm. the U.S. dollar, and the fact that the index hasn't still hasn't got to um, to as you say the peak last last uh, last year, last November may may mean there's some some more. To go, mm. so on the one hand, say so there is a supply potential supply problem with uh, treasuries and all the rest of it, but the reality is that the U.S. Um, the returns people can earn on U.S. assets, whether historically mm. whether equities or, or, or bonds, is is greatly superior to almost anywhere anywhere else. So that's bound. So in in fact, the U.S. is su- sucking in investment into the dollar. Um, the yen is um, the, the yen is an, an interesting game. They, they yesterday the BOJ said, well, actually, what well, well, Ministry of Finance rather, actually, what we're looking at is volatility, and as long as as long as the yen is not moving independently weaker against the other currencies, which it has not been, then um, the implication is that they won't they won't in, intervene. Mm. They will only intervene if the yen is specifically targeted. But well, it looks like they be. did, didn't it? But the, but the mm. market is still... Um, well, that could be a spoof from some hedge fund being trying to be clever, you know, and just catch out. Mm. There, there's a lot of long... There are a lot of long positions in the futures markets and so on. Mm. Uh, and the yen... Oh, short yen, long dollar, so it's very easy to trigger a, a bit of short covering. And what about equity markets? Over here, the Hang Seng down 2.7% yesterday. It's an 11-month low now. Is that also uh, a consequence of these bond yields rising, or are there other specific local oh, factors going on? I, I think there are a couple of... It's very much, of course, where the US goes, the rest of the world generally follows. I mean, the economic time in India and, and Vietnam is, of course, very different, as we know, and also Japan. But um, yeah, I think also just the, my swan song on China, which is that, and I'm not alone with this, that many commentators and many newspapers also are wondering whether this squelching of the private sector is going to really create the jobs that China gets. And of course, we're the water skier off the back of the Chinese speedboat. Mm-hmm. There was there was optimism that maybe when China reopens, mm. um, we could see a bit of a rebound because you know the government has taken some measures to try and support the economy and, and the economic data uh, that's been coming out more recently does tend to suggest that maybe the worst is over for 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 the economy. Would you would you agree with that assessment? Just because it's bottoming doesn't mean it's going to go up. 
Um, so even even if there's some stabilization, also off the back of base effects, in the words of, of of raunchy numbers of last year, so it looks less terrible than it did than it was. In that it's not being factored in. I still just think that the the overall employment outlook and it ultimately any economy hinges on consumer sentiment in my mind because it's such a big chunk of the economy, whether directly or indirectly through the property sector, that's still getting hit and the people just feel less confident, one, because they're not getting a job and two, because their properties have gone fat. Mm. Mm. And, but it, you know the, the the local markets were tumbling before this latest yes. bond round, weren't they? We had the last last quarter in the third quarter, the yeah. Hang Seng down almost six percent, the world's worst performer among the major yeah. markets. And similarly, Chinese markets, mainland Chinese markets, not doing much better. The Shanghai Composite down three percent in the yes. third quarter. Um, these markets have have really been in the doldrums for a while now, haven't they? What's it going to take to get them out of this? The only way out is, is to is to allow the private sector to start creating jobs again. Until that happens, which I'm not seeing myself, and many commentators are at least on my side, quote-unquote, or I'm on their side, um, that that's just not going to happen for a long, long time. So that's my concern about China. Mm. And we're not even getting the data, which is going to help yeah. us decide whether um, jobs are being created. We won't get the it's US being, data either. It's being <laughs> suppressed, isn't it? We're not seeing, the, for example, the youth unemployment number anymore. Yes. So we're missing important information about, is China starting to create those jobs that, that you say are needed? Well, important always to remember that also most of the data that we get are only for China's urban population, mm. not for the ni- eight or nine hundred million rural people floating about. Mm. John, what what are your thoughts about the local markets here? Yeah, well, I think I think um, you know the background of the, the property crisis, China property crisis. Um, I mean, to me, seeing you know seeing some. Uh, Resolutions in in that um, that's a, almost a necessary condition for uh, a, a market recovery. Um, whether it's sufficient, um, but that may not be sufficient if if, if uh, as Enzia says, the rest of the economy is still still flat mm. on its back. I mean, the one the one sector, of course, that that is in in good shape are the um, the manufacturing exports, at least the big ticket items like mm. EVs. Mm-hmm. solar panels etc but even that you know so we're going to see a flood of uh, evs com- coming out mm. targeting europe especially and and that Ger- the german car industry no. quaking in its boots no. um and uh you know so the eu is going to start an investigation on whether trade whether, war again whether yeah. it's uh, fair trade so well they got whacked with the solar panel didn't they yes so because yeah. the chinese were dumping but so didn't the, help the, i mean the chinese aren't ideal either so yeah, 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 it didn't help the um, indigenous manufacturers. They've already already been Absolutely. pretty much wiped out. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's a kind of um, you know lose lose type of situation yeah, yeah. With, with this um, this aggressive um, trade uh, well competition, which turns turns into a war. How key is Evergrande to all of this? Its shares started trading yesterday uh, once again after after being suspended. They closed 28% higher, um, which suggests people maybe uh, still think there's a bit of time for this to be sorted out. But the key thing is Evergrande has got to find a way to refinance itself, hasn't it? And uh, the authorities at the moment won't let it issue new debt. If it can't issue new debts, then it's finished, isn't it? Um. Well, I think so. It should be. It's the. I don't know whether it's the key. It's it's, it's a key, but um, in a, in that it potentially serves as a template to what to do with all the other yeah, highly indebted property companies, which we're not hearing much about except occasionally. Country Garden. I mean, the problem is much more deep, 
it goes much deeper than mm. just Evergrande, sadly. Um, and as you say, it's such a tangled mess, and we've got so many different people involved in uh, a little piecemeal measure here by some local government and there and everywhere. Um, I, I don't know how you... It really needs to be, I, I think it needs to be nationalised, I think that's the, be, the best mm -hmm. expression. I, and then they just have to do a, you know, go through all the assets, um, decide which ones are, are these yeah. under completed building, which ones are going to be completed and how they're going to be, how, who's going to pay for that and how. Um, and then and then do a massive restructuring which will involve significant write-offs uh, of the debt. Mm. So it needs to be. I, I can't see any other way of uh, other than completely dismembering the company. Mm. But but it, it's in everyone's interest, isn't it? If it is allowed to issue new debt and continue with this restructuring. Well, because like, I don't think mm. they, if they're just allowed to issue more paper. Um, is this is a difference? People calling for um, mm. you know massive fiscal stimulus to um, or just stimulus stimulus to to revive the the China economy. Um, but they, that will that will not not be helped if it's just just increasing the debt, the pile of debt. You can't until they have debt resolution. Um, that's to mm. say, deleveraging de across the, the the system, which requires a number of interventions, um, including you know debt write-offs, some money printing later down the road. Um, to um, but that that means having probably having a weaker a weaker currency. Um, currently, they're stepping in to stop the, you know, they're trying to manage the currency to be stable. But I suspect, um, you know, at some point it will they'll have to let it go down a few notches. Jordan, mm. uh, do you see any international ramifications for Evergrande with with the overseas debt? Do you think that could hit the 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 world markets? Um, no, I think that well, their dollar, their dollar debt, offshore mm. dollar debt, yeah. trades, mm. at, trades at a few cents. Yeah. Well, there is this hearing on the thirtieth of September oh. in Hong Kong, isn't yeah. there? We, in which it could be forced into uh, forced into liquidation right. because there's a group yeah. of bondholders um, yeah, who are, who are challenging that in court. The problem is though, um, Evergrande doesn't have any assets left in Hong Kong, does it? It's sold its no, head no, office in Wan Chai, and I don't know what it means by. Um, yeah, I don't know which entity is being. That, that's the other thing. I presume there's a there's molten, you know various all kinds of holding companies mm -hmm. and, and different subsidiaries here, there, and everywhere. So, so all, you know that's it's a complicated okay. mess. Yes. Finally, just before we finish, Angela, let me ask you about the World Bank. It's uh, its outlook. Um, it's basically saying Asia faces one of its worst economic yeah. outlooks in 50 years. It's downgraded its 2024 mm. forecast for GDP. It expects China's economic output to grow 4.4% next mm. year, down from 4.8% it was predicting in April. And then for GDP growth for developing economies in East Asia and the Pacific, which also includes China, they've cut that to 4.5% percent from 4.8 percent are you as gloomy as the world bank on on asia yeah well we've been for a long time with along with the market the the problem with these multi multinational inter, whatever you call them institutions is they they tell you the what they tell you the time by looking at somebody else's watch Mm. And so there's nothing, there's no original thinking other than those surveys and those studies that they do. But none of this is new stuff. So quite why they're coming in and saying, well, gee, I've taken the 
um, forecasts, the collective forecasts of Peter, John, and Enzio, and, and then put them together and said, actually, it's going to be sagaciously four point something percent, all this feigned precision. And then we'll add, we'll add a bit of a discount, an extra discount. We'll, put, put two, <laughs> we'll whack two decimal points on it to be a bit gutsy, but yeah. it really is telling you the time by looking at somebody else's watch. So they do do, and the World Bank does do excellent individual studies on individual topics, but these macro things are really just looking at the time by time looking at somebody else's watch but you agree overall with the sentiment even oh, yes. if they're um, yeah, you know, maybe at a some bit point late the higher rates have to bite it's it's not different this time what we were alluding to before mm. once the u.s mortgages go off that fixed perch and then they go up to seven percent of course things are going to hit so let's wait for a lagged effect but of course there's also a saying in our broking industry that john and you know too well if you say it long enough it will happen so perhaps in the next lifetime we'll have a recession <laughs> the one area where they are optimistic is south asia that's sort of india pakistan Bangladesh, as, Sri Lanka. as everybody else is i mean that's there's nothing new there that they've been yeah. india's been going crackers indonesia very doing very well for some time i'm sure they're going to also say hey Japan is actually on the rebound now. Okay. Well, it's great to hear your thoughts this morning. Thank you very much for, for coming in. You heard there NZO von Fahl, who's Capital Preservation Specialist at Financial Shield. John Schofield, Managing Director of Tempus Investments. I'm joined now by Nick Smith, who is Japan Strategist at CLSA in Tokyo. Morning, Nick. Good morning, Tim. Um, big moves around the world in, uh, in government bonds overnight. We've been talking about that earlier in the show, particularly in the US, but um, also in Japan as well. The yield on the 10-year Japanese government bond now, uh, almost 0.8%, highest level since September 2013. What impact is this move that we're seeing um, in bond yields, Treasury bonds and JGBs, having on, uh, on Tokyo markets? Yeah, I guess that's uh, woken up a few economists. Um, the uh, default state for a, uh, an economist is to say that uh, things aren't going to change in Japan. And we've had a, a move. Um, I mean, I was saying a couple of days ago, there's uh, 23 basis points upside to the um, yield curve control ceiling at uh, 100 basis points. I said we did the last 23 basis points in um, in nine weeks. So it's going to be a, a sexy nine and a half weeks ahead. Um, I think that we'll we'll hit um, 100 basis points on um, on the 10 year, perhaps by uh, by Christmas. But you can see that the uh, the buying by um, by the Bank of Japan has tapered somewhat. The uh, the shorting by foreigners has uh, significantly increased. And so, first of all, that uh, makes you think of the um, the finance stocks in in Japan, uh, particularly the banks. They trade around the. Um, in in lockstep with the uh, Japanese ten-year bond yield, um, and so that's that makes plenty of sense when you bear in mind that um, the, the the BOJ's basically had its foot on their throats for uh, for ten years. So finally, they um, they've had no um, EPS growth growth for ten years. Uh, now they'll be allowed to do so. Mm-hmm. Obviously, it's got implications for the uh, the currency. But I would say now I think you've got the uh, the arrow of causality the wrong way around that um the the yen's now pushing on um on 150 we know that uh, straight intervention in the markets has historically done next to nothing so you know over the uh, the years i've been since since 1990 the uh, um japan's done what 98 trillion yen worth of uh, of intervention uh, affects usually hours rather than days 
Um, and so intervention doesn't do it. The only way of doing it, uh, dealing with things is by uh, letting Japanese rates drift up, which seems to be what's going on at the moment. I think they'll take out uh, yield curve control at both the, the long and the short end, um, uh, quite possibly in, in January, but certainly by April. It's a big risk, isn't it, being short the yen at these levels, because all it needs is, is <coughs> one statement from um, Governor uh, Ueda to say that we're thinking about um, exiting, um, you know, the, the, the ultra-loose monetary policy is sometime in the near future and the yen is going to shoot up. Well, I think that's the uh, that's the case at the moment and uh, the the frustrating thing is that the uh, the BOJ has uh, has certainly not been a uh, a good communicator recently. So uh, I mean, each time it's made the move, it's uh, defied expectations. Um, and must say, I, I, on both of the times it's uh, moved yield curve control ceiling, I was saying they're going to move it up. But um, but I think the market was uh, frustrated about the uh, the lack of good communication. I mean, this is all brilliant, though, isn't it, for the Japanese equity market? You've got interest rates that are that are negative, real rates very low. The the exchange rate um, has plummeted. Um, great for Japanese stocks. What what are they up about twenty five percent so far now for twenty twenty three? Yeah, in, in um, yen terms, they're done very well. So if you're um, a smart guy like uh, Warren Buffett, you finance with uh, with issuing yen bonds, then you're um, you, you're going to have a great Christmas. Um, but um, yeah, I think the uh, I, I certainly rub our, our clients' uh, faces in the the story that um, I'm I'm paying zero point three four five percent on my mortgage. What are you paying? <laughs> uh, and that's in a cut. <laughs> and, and that's in a country where um, where inflation, ex fresh food and uh, and energy is four point three percent. So um, money is slightly cheaper than free. So it'd be churlish not to take advantage of it. I mean, the the, the irony is um, inflation in the U.S. is actually lower than it is in Japan, isn't it? Whereas um, if you looked at interest rates, you would never believe that. Yeah, I mean um, that's the one thing you really don't hear from um, from the journalists is, is uh, that all, all the fuss they're talking about uh, um, inflation elsewhere. It's actually higher here in Japan. But the trouble is, of course, that um, that wages haven't moved in Japan for uh, for thirty years, so it's really weighing on the um, on the support rates for the uh, the government at the moment, and they'll pass that uh, that pressure on. Um, you know, the, the uh, central bankers always like to pretend that they're engineers, but they're uh, they're really um, ultimately at the whim of um, uh, of politicians, and the uh, the pressure ultimately gets fed through. Mm. The other statistic that I'm interested in that I saw you quote in your recent report, the uh, the, the Japanese market cap, it's about five percent of global market cap. It used to be over fifty percent. Well, it did, um, and so you see these ridiculous charts in um, in the papers where they say, "Well, Japan hasn't got back to where it was in in 1989." And, and uh, of course, anyone who was there at the time says, "No, that was La La Land at the time. Mm. It was absolutely fantastic <laughs> fun." But um, but it, it's probably the biggest bubble in in human history. And so, um, in terms of um, equity prices have come down, profits have come up, and now they're very much backed up by um, by a 
earnings, which wasn't the case before. I mean, um, yes, the Schiller uses his price to ten-year average earnings and uh, and says, "Well, the US is expensive at uh, at thirty times." And I go, yeah, but in two thousand and five, we're trading at one hundred and twenty times in, in Japan. Um, so basically, the market was being held up, held up by uh, by brokers uh, hyperbole, and luckily we got away with it and kept our jobs. <laughs> yes, I remember those. Those were the good old days, although what Japan's doing at the moment might create a new bubble. I, I think if you wanted to create a bubble, this is how you would do it. I mean, um, giving money away um, in quite the way that they're doing with um, with banks at the moment. I mean, when, when I signed my, my mortgage contract, there was seven of the bankers sitting at the uh, the table in front of me. And I'm going, that's just wiped out all of your profits on this for, for 10 years into the future. <laughs> um, I, I mean, ultimately, I think um, lending at these rates is, is, um, is just inviting problems for the future. But um, with a little luck, We'll be we'll be on our beach with uh, drinks with with umbrellas in by then, and and presumably now that Japan is out of um, deflation, this is good for for Japanese companies and it's good for their profit margins. It is. I mean, I, I saw some um, delightful uh, economist being uh, interviewed on television, and, and the, he was being asked, um, "What's so bad about deflation? The prices coming down is a good thing, isn't it?" And the poor, poor dear couldn't explain himself. But um, obviously, that crushes the profitability of, uh, of companies, and also makes their um, their uh, debt bigger and bigger. And so they they cut their uh, their spending to uh, to bring their debt down. That uh, causes some supply and demand to fall apart and, and prices uh, drop further, makes that debt bigger and, and you go into a vicious circle. So, I mean, it, deflation is like the the sort of the Schwarzschild radius around a, uh, a black hole. Once you get inside, it's really difficult to get out of it. Japan's managed to, uh, to get out of it. Not everyone should assume that uh, uh, that if they get into it, they'll be able to uh, to get out so lightly. Mm. But yeah, thank God we're out of, of that. And the result is that profitability has exploded upward so i show a chart of profit uh, profitability going back to the the 1950s and say it always um peaked at um in previous cycles at half the level it's at at the moment i'm not saying it's good it's still uh, still lousy but um but it's uh, at least double what it was in um, in previous cycles and i think the escape from uh, deflation is a, a major part of that this is uh, the almost the perfect holy trinity isn't it for for japan you've got profit margins increasing earnings increasing um forecast for the economy um, being revised up um, a, a weak currency uh, it just seems that everything is is in favor for for japanese stocks at the moment uh, yet and uh, and yet we've got people to um, profit taking at the moment um yeah i mean i think the uh, the situation's reasonably good you, you've always got to keep in mind that this is a, a deeply cyclical uh, uh, market i believe that there's enough from um uh, the country uh, belatedly coming out of uh, hibernation to cushion us from the uh, the global situation uh, but uh, global growth has slowed um and the situation for here is all down to whether you think that uh, um, the US has a hard or a soft landing, but uh, this time around, China's not going to bail us out. How exposed is um, Japan to the slowdown in China? Um, if you, a lot of people seem to think, yeah, it's all Asia; um, they're interlinked. If you look at it, the uh, the Chinese uh, GDP forecasts have been slashed this year. The um, GDP forecast for Japan's been significantly uh, lifted. Things happening with. Um, 
with profit forecasts, you know, consensus forecast of Japanese earnings, they're getting revised up um, day by day. The, the the numbers keep going up. Um, what I find is um, people um, uh, misunderstand the um, the GDP numbers that show um, uh, trade between Japan and uh, China. Of course, the, the trade between Japan and China is is basically uh, Japanese um, apparent trading with. Um, with Chinese subsidiary, but um, if you want to sell in China, you you uh, make in China. Otherwise, what you send to China is is, is stuff to snap together and send to uh, to rich countries in the West, like uh, uh, North America and Europe. So ultimately, the really important thing is is um, North America, um, and it doesn't make so much money in in Europe. But um, bidets are ex ex China is. Um, it's hugely important also. I think people overestimate the importance of China in the profit mix for Japan. Not for Germany, but certainly for Japan. And, and what sort of state is the Japanese consumer in? In China, the, the consumer is pretty gloomy and is really pulling in the horns. What, what's the Japanese consumer doing? Because if I look at the PMI numbers that, that came out um, at the beginning of the week, they look pretty good, don't they? They do. So um, if you listen to economists, and I had general advice against it, they, they're pretty negative on um, on Japanese consumption. I look at the consumption uh, monthly series and say it's got a hell of a lot of upside to the average for 2019, even more upside to, um, to the long-term uh, trend. Um, it, it's depressed at the moment, but for usually you look at the manufacturing PMI this time I think um, I'd recommend because of um, reopening to look at the uh, services one and that's surprisingly strong that suggests to me that there's um, there's some um, very positive things in the pipeline for um, for the service sector and therefore I suppose ultimately for, for consumption in Japan mm. and also what about Japan's demographics we're hearing a lot about demographics from the World Bank at the moment they're pretty gloomy on China very positive because of good demographics in South Asia, in India and Bangladesh and Sri Lanka. Um, Japan's got a shrinking sort of population. What, what's the impact of that? <clears throat> yeah, I mean, economists, bless them, think that uh, if only the world had more people, obviously, and um, was it 1932, the world had one billion by... Um, uh, had uh, two billion by um, 19... 70s it was uh, was it 1973 4 it got to uh, to 4 billion and now it's uh, last november it passed to uh, 8 billion people think of that report from um, oxford university saying um, 47% of um, us jobs are vulnerable to um, automation and uh, and ai uh, will <laughs> obviously um population is increasingly a, a millstone not a merit at the moment okay well nick it's always good to talk to you thank you very much indeed for that that's nick smith who is japan strategist at clsa in tokyo you're listening to peter lewis's money talk money talk Thank you for listening to Money Talk this morning. You can find more business and finance information from around Asia in my daily newsletter, which is at peterlewismoneytalk.substack.com. I'll be back tomorrow when I'll be joined on the show by Andrew Ferris, the CEO of Econosis Advisory, and Peter Kim, Managing Director and Investment Strategist at KB Securities in Seoul. With a view from Taiwan is Ross Feingold, Business Development Director at Safepro Group. See you tomorrow. Money Talk.